I'm Kimberly Toss, and welcome to Books in the Country, a podcast brought to you by the Country Bookshop in Southern Pines, North Carolina. I want to begin by thanking each one of you for being here with us today to welcome Brendan Slocum back to Southern Pines. The Country Bookshop is part of our town for one reason and, and one reason only. And that's because you choose to shop with us. And you might shop with us because you enjoy experiences like meeting or seeing Brendan Slocum again. Or you might enjoy bringing your family here when they're visiting. Or you might enjoy coming to chat with people if you're lonely. Or you might enjoy having something to do with your family when they visit. I think I just said that. But Or just because of what Angie Talley does, getting authors in schools and books in kids' hands across the county and across the state. Um, I want to thank you for finding us to be of value and, and, and proving that value by choosing to shop with us and allowing us to continue uh, to exist here. Uh, the Country Bookshop was founded by two women in 1953, and the store has had several longtime owners um, over the years. And in 2010, when the bookshop's doors were closing, we were purchased by the Pilot Newspaper, our local community um, journalism force, I should say. Um, it is my great pleasure to open up our time together today by introducing... Our guest of honor, Brendan Nicholas Slocum, who was raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I do the long intro because I like it. So just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just you can you can yes. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Greensboro with yes, with a degree in music education, concentrations on violin and viola. For the past two decades, he has been a public and private school music educator from kindergarten through 12th grade, teaching general music, guitar, orchestra, ensembles. His students were often chosen for district and regional orchestras, and in 2005, Brendan was named Teacher of the Year for Robert E. Lee High School, and he has been named to Who's Who of American Teachers and is a Nobel Teacher of Distinction. Brendan, this is why I do the long intro. Uh, Brendan also serves as an educational consultant for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And there are chairs here if you want to slide in and get comfortable. And there's one here. We haven't... All right. We've got good spots, Jerry, and Jerry will help you find uh, a seat. Uh, music has always played a major part of Brendan's life. He believes that it is a life-saving force and a gift we should always offer our children. When he was nine, he started playing violin through a public school music program. Friends he grew up with are today sitting in jail when they were out running the streets. He was in rehearsals. When they were breaking into people's houses, he was practicing Dvorak and Mozart. His violin opened the door to opportunity and he ran through it. Since then, Brendan has performed with the Washington Metropolitan Symphony, the McLean Symphony, the Prince George's Philharmonic, and the Alexandria Symphony. He has served as the concertmaster for the Nova Annandale Symphony Orchestra and regularly performs chamber music with members of the Alexandria Chamber Music Society. He maintains a private music studio teaching lessons to students on violin, guitar, and piano. Brendan believes that everyone can learn to appreciate and love music, and that it can be a new way of communicating, building bonds, and connecting with people who may look, sound, or speak differently. Brendan hosts a podcast called How Music Can Save Your Life. And in 2002, Brendan published his first novel, The Violin Conspiracy, which he joined us for, and is a, yay, it was fun, a GMA book club pick, and it is the riveting story of a young black musician who discovers that his old family fiddle is actually a priceless Stradivarius when it's stolen on the eve of the world's most prestigious classical music competition. He risks everything to get it back. The Violin Conspiracy will be published in Romania, Serbia, Israel, Japan, Turkey, China, and Portugal. This year, Brendan has published his second novel, Symphony of Secrets, and he is here to talk with us about it today. Welcome and thank you. Thank you. And for, I mean, gosh, The Violent Conspiracy, and then this book, which, such a treat, but it made me listen to the world differently, it made me tell stories to my kid differently, 
um, because all of a sudden we're talking about the sound the coffee maker makes because you made me listen in ways I'm grateful for after I read this book. But let's begin. Can you just tell us a little bit about the book? First, thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And that is from the heart, seriously. Thank you, Kimberly. It's so nice to see you again. Um, what? Okay, talking about this. The Symphony of Secrets. Um, I'm really excited and, and proud of this book. Uh, it's a story that takes place in two parts. Uh, in the past, America's greatest composer, Frederick Delaney, meets a young woman whose name is Josephine Reed. Uh, they both are musicians, but one of them is a true musical genius. One of them. In the present, Professor Bern Hendricks is tasked with authenticating the long-lost score to the opera Red that was recently discovered by Frederick, uh, who Frederick Delaney had written. It's been recently discovered, and he's tasked with authenticating it. And during his research, he discovers this guy may not have written any of his music, and the corporation that hired him to do this will stop at nothing to keep it a secret. Ooh. I know, right? I know. <laughs> You know, you say corporation, but it's a foundation. It's and, a thank you, yes. And, yeah, and, I wrote this book, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but in prepping for this, it I went down so many rabbit holes of research. What's a foundation? What's a nonprofit? Uh, and it, I really it wanted to ask, does anything exist today like the Delaney Foundation, which is fictional in terms of its mission and getting books and instruments in kids' hands? Um, and... And I remembered us. Yeah, pull these chairs up. We're we're comfortable here. We we're want. All friends here. Yeah, pull these chairs up. Um, and I remembered you. It's not. I didn't find it in your bio this time. But you started a nonprofit organization for the Philippines, getting instruments in kids' hands. And it, I was wondering if you could talk to. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Foundation and why it need to be a foundation and. <laughs> in the nonprofit realm, you know. Foundation just sounds better than corporation. It sounds a little less uh, money grubbing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, it it, uh, I, I started a, a, a foundation called Hands Across the Sea. I did a tour of Southeast Asia. I was playing with a group, and um, it, the conditions over there were just horrible. The people were so spiritually happy and sweet, but the conditions they were living in were awful. And, you know, uh, they their, their currency is pesos, Philippine pesos. Um, I cashed like 20 bucks in and I got like 5,000 pesos. It was something ridiculous. Um, so by the time it was time to go, I had given my money to uh, some people that I met over there. I said, look, if this helps you out, just let me know. Because if I had tried to cash it in, I would have lost money. Um, so two weeks later, I get an email from a young man that says, with that money that you gave me, which was equivalent to about 35 US dollars, with that money... I put an additional room onto our house. So instead of 12 people living in one room, we moved our family into another room. Now we have six people living in with $35. And I thought to myself, if 35 bucks could do that, what could 50 do? What could 100 do? What could 500 do? So uh, I started this organization and my friends, it started off them just giving me their spare change, me not buying a pair of shoes every week and you know buying a new shirt. And I saved that money and I took it over. We bought school supplies, instruments, took people to the dentist, took them to the doctor, you know, bought equipment for just everything everyone needed just with spare change. And people need help. And if we who are able to help don't help, who's going to do it? So it, it needed to be done. And yeah. Thank you. Well, the experience of the violin conspiracy. How many of y'all have read The Violin Conspiracy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the best friend, the friend. I figured out why I finished it. I'll tell you later. But so much of it, uh, reading the way you wrote music was almost like a synesthetic experience of that. And in this book, you've kind of taken it to the next level, mm -hmm. translating so much more than the music. And um, because of the neurodivergent mind we're, we're exploring. And it's almost like we experience more fully. And in your author's note, you talk about the neurodivergent experience and, and, and 
I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to to that and why sure um, you chose that vehicle. One one of the main characters, her name is Josephine. She is neurodivergent. She lives with autism, uh, and I, I chose her to be uh, living with autism because I've had some experience. I have a nephew who lives with autism. My best friend's brother lives with autism. My friends that I play with in the symphony, their you know ch children live with autism. I've taught kids who live with autism, and you hear so often, you, you rarely hear anything positive about people with neurodivergent, neurodivergent conditions. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to uh, show these people in a positive light. It's, they're not any worse off than anyone else, they just see the world differently. And we just need to learn how to communicate differently. That's all it is. So I wanted something positive for people living with this condition. And in the story, uh, Josephine is, is neurodivergent with, with autism as well as a condition called synesthesia. Basically, you can see and hear colors. If you hear a note, oh, that's a green. If you hear another note, oh, that's purple. And, and it would be overwhelming for me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't live with that. That would just be, you know, because I'm hearing the lights hum right now. <laughs> and it's a note that I'm not going to name because I would... <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, things like that. And this is how she sees the world. And I just thought that that would be really interesting. One of my favorite composers, Rimsky-Korsakov, lives with, or he had uh, synesthesia. And his music is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The, the colors, and the, it's so vivid, all of his music. And I think that was due to this condition that he had. And I just wanted to explore that some more and, you know, paint it in a positive way, which is what I wanted to do. And I hope the character of Josephine, I hope it came across... It did, but it also, you know, it's an avenue into the way that you also use your 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 writing to take to take it um, from the auditory to the to the physical in the mm -hmm. same way that you use Josephine's synesthesia to take it from the auditory to the visual. You know, you also were so much more ready to receive some of your words where you take insults and hate from the verbal to the physical you know uh, you say felt like their dislike of her she felt their dislike of her like an orange moss upon her skin wondered if it would leave a scar a gaze leaving marks on cheeks his voice battering against her and I love the way you play this play with this in in such a enrapturing way and I was wondering if you could talk about fiction as a medium you know as I tell everybody when I'm talking about your books you are just a master communicator and I'm wondering if you could talk about this medium specifically and why it's and I mean you're very good at it but why it's fun for you um, it's it's a lot of fun for me because as a musician and I know we have a few musicians in here we can talk shop all day long how many musicians do we have in here besides Kim <laughs> well, I went to junior high and college with and we just played next to each other all the time this is really for non-musicians I really wanted to give people who don't play an instrument or who've never played an instrument I wanted you to see what it feels like for us to this is what it's like for us all the time when we're learning a piece, you know, we go through a, a, a whole slew of emotions, and when we're performing that piece we want to bring you along on the journey with us, so Everything that I write, all the descriptions, they're really for people who have never played anything before. And it's just like, wow, is this what it's like for you guys? Is it? Do you really go to another place in your head when you're playing this? The answer is absolutely. And I wanted everyone to be able to experience that because it's a great experience. Um, so much of um, your tension is, is what I, the way you write tension is what I appreciated in the well in any thriller and you do it exceptionally well in the violin conspiracy and you almost did a reverse tension uh, in in this as burn as we have to like wait for burn to get it and um, I think everything you do in your writing is very purposeful and uh, I was wondering um, as you are creating that frustration and creating the tension in the reader, waiting for him to the dawning of understanding, and um, I was wondering if you could speak to the your purpose in creating that specific feeling in the reader. Absolutely. Well, first, uh, another one of the protagonists. His name is Dr. Kevin Bernard Hendricks, and he was named. I, I wrote him for my late brother Kevin, um, and he was a phenomenal 
musician. He was phenomenal. And um, just things that he, I, I, I'm not going to call this character naive, but in a sense, he was really naive. He dedicated his life to the composer Frederick Delaney. Frederick Delaney saved Kevin Bernard Hendricks. His first instrument came from the Delaney Foundation. You know, he got to go to college because of the Delaney Foundation. Everything in his life is he owes to the Delaney Foundation. So they can do no wrong in his eyes. And I'm going to say with this book, you've heard that saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think that is extremely um, accurate for this story. Everything that Frederick Delaney does in his head, it is for the right reason. And how could you doubt someone who saved your life? You know, how could you think anything poorly of, no, this guy, there's no way this guy who I love so much and who I owe everything to, there's no way he could be a bad person. There's no way. But, you know, the more you read, and, and I'll just say the character of Freddie Delaney, I love him. I would totally hang out with this guy. He is a great guy. Um, and you just see, as Kimberly mentioned, you can just see it just it just gets more and more twisted and the tension builds up in reverse, like you mentioned. Um, he's he's You want to like him. You want to like everything that he's done for the right reasons. And Byrne is just, you know, he because he saved this guy's life, he's, you, know, I, I, you are going to have to prove, show and prove to me that this guy is bad. He, there's no way that this guy is as evil as I think he might be, even though I see all the uh, evidence in front of me and uh, it's happening right before my eyes, but there's no way. I'm not going to believe it. So, yeah, um, it's, it's real emotions. When I, hopefully this hasn't happened to you guys, but when you come across something and you like, okay, I'm so happy about this, and then all of a sudden you realize, it's not really what I thought it was, and that's a terrible feeling. It's just like an empty, it just empties you, everything on the inside, it just brings you totally down, and that's not a good feeling. Um, so I really wanted people to see that Byrne was struggling with this. He was really, really struggling because someone that literally saved his life, I can't think anything bad about this guy, so I just wanted everyone to go along with the journey on how he discovered, well, okay, one of my heroes is not so heroic. <laughs> well, the way you answered that question a little bit dovetails into a, uh, another question um, about forms of control and how you explore that in the book. And, um, you know, there's gaslighting, which is a popular term today, but the concept is as old as humans. And, um, <laughs> but, but just that kind of abuse. And then uh, as you, and I'm wondering if you can talk to how you explore this control and manipulation in the certain points and that idea of gratefulness and how it can it's twisted as yeah. a form of control yeah. in in your writing. Um, Freddie when he meets Josephine, I truly believe that it's he's he's a benevolent character. He really is. He has nothing but the best intentions. When things go well, they go really well and he's doing this for her. I'm doing this for you because I'm a nice guy and you're a nice person. So, okay. And then as things progress, <coughs> situations begin to change. And it really is, um, I, I think it's quite common. It's easy to get twisted. It's really easy to get a good intention. It's so easy. One little turn, one little curve. You take that one little step and everything goes the opposite direction. It's all ha it's happened to all of us, I'm sure. You have the good intentions. Everything's going to go great. This is why I'm doing this. It's for a good reason. And then all of a sudden, ah, well, if I do this, then this might happen. But it's for a good reason. I'm helping you by doing this. It's not hurting me, but I'm really doing this to help you. If you convince yourself of that, I mean, it's all over. We've all been there, right? Yeah, some of it. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I see Oh, that was me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things uh, you explore in this book is is the different ways control is codified, and mm. especially through the this moment in time with the copyright law, and it was just prior to the copyright law and ownership. And um, I recently was at. Um, listening to um, Corey Doctorow speak, mm -hmm. who d is really exploring this copyright moment in our modern age, at a time when technology has changed. And that was a similar t moment 
in this time when technology had changed right. and how you were earning money from um, ownership of, of mm -hmm. intellectual property was going about. Can you talk about copyright then, why you wanted to explore it, and if, if you are if you would like to which copyright now? I Well, back in the early 20th century, there were musicians who had written songs that you would dance to all day long. And you would think, I hear this song everywhere all the time. That person must be rich. They were starving because they'd sold their song to a, a publisher who's making millions of dollars off of it. Um, and, and the uh, actual musician or composer is literally starving on the street. Um, so I, I, I thought it would be really interesting not only to explore that time, but to explore something uniquely American, which was the jazz age. Jazz is a true American art form. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to actually delve into that a bit. And, and with, with copyrights, um, it's, there's a fine line between borrowing stealing <laughs> and just inspiration there's a really really fine line someone asked me the other day it's like so if what when when does borrowing become theft and i say if you just copy it note for note it's actually theft and borrowing is you know you can change the key maybe change the rhythm a little bit it reminds you of something um so the line was really fine and, and I'm, I'm so glad that that people understand now that this these things still happen today like there's intellectual property that is just stolen like people's music is you know i i have a friend who is telling me that uh they're in a lawsuit right now over a song that everybody in the world knows you probably sang it yesterday and you know this person wrote this song when they were in high school and uh the person who recorded it and made a million bucks off of it kind of stole it and you know what do you do it, it it happens all the time i just want people to be aware that these things do happen it's not like oh i wrote this great song and now i'm a millionaire no there's so much more that goes into it and uh people are literally starving after pouring their hearts out um and i, I just wanted to to bring awareness to that and that was unique um that brought on the copyright laws in the early 20s. Um, I would like, one of the other, in terms of what a great communicator you are, you also use clothing to, 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 to express something. You know, with Byrne, he's really into, he uses his clothes to signify the importance of something. And the way he irons his clothes, and that be is used as a really interesting literary technique that that delivers a very powerful um, punch later in the book. Um, and then I want to talk about Ebony. Sorry, I just wanted to let that go. I want to talk about Ebony, who, in in my mind, the way you write her the way her clothing unfolds her superpowers <coughs> she to me is a comic book superhero existing in this book and and her clothes the way the way you've written her outfits the way when she's the way she has superpowers like legit tech superpowers which is superpowers in real life and um the way Boom is delivered like like a. You'll see a boom comic. a lot in this book. And I I want you to talk about her and then in simultaneously, and then I have a follow up question. Okay. Um, I can, I, I wanted I wanted uh, a strong I, I wanted something to balance. You have in the past Freddie and Josephine in the past, and in the uh, present we have Burn, and I needed a counterpart for him, so I came up with. Ebony Michelle Washington, who is from the Boogie Down Bronx in New York, um, and it's one of those things. I can't really mention clothing. Um, just it, it's it's a part of a bigger. Not I don't want to say lesson because I don't want to have to take anybody to school. School teacher in me. Um, I don't want to say it's a lesson, but um, it's it's uh, it really kind of is a lesson. I don't want people to look at people and say I know everything about you just by your appearance. Because if you look at Ebony, 
you're going to think she's this, she's a hood rat, she's not smart, she's just, you know, this and this. But she's one of the smartest people in the story. She is the smartest person in the story. And if you judge a book by its cover, <laughs> you know, we miss out on so much. And that is a larger story within that story. I want people to see people, look past the attire, look past the hair, look past the outfit, look past the accent, really see people. And I think when people started doing that with Ebony, they realized, wow, I really underestimated you. And, uh, you know, she's accustomed to that her entire life. A lot of us are. You know, people see me, you know, this guy with tattoos and, and earrings and, you know, just look at him. There's no way that he could write a book. He doesn't play a violin. That's all people see. You're not looking. You're looking past me. And I want you to look at me. And that's an overarching theme in this book, to really see people. And I think if we did that, the world would be a much better place. We would have a lot less confusion if we looked at people instead of past people. And listen. And listen, exactly. You can clap for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are taking us to school. And I'm sorry about that. There'll be a test later. Why? Why? Why do we read? You know, honestly. I mean, don't, don't, don't not say anything and write a book. Um, sorry. Wait, there was another part to that, wasn't there, Kimberly? You oh, asked me something. So yes, because Ebony Michelle Washington. And I'm not usually a fan of books being made into movies, um, but I, and I hope you have time to visit the North Carolina Museum of Art while you're here, because um, in ter- I was thinking about this in terms of the way you use clothing and the way I see her as a superhero. There's um, a show of costumes, incredible costumes of mostly um, black characters, like all the... Um, the Black Panther costumes are on display, and you go in, and you can't. You walk in understanding something about clothing and and in what it, you use it to say. And it it um, I couldn't, I can't read or see anything without thinking about this exhibit and what it did. So now all I'm thinking of is this book as a as a movie, and like the graphics and the synesthesia and the clothing and so I'm curious if about the violin conspiracy <laughs> rights and the symphony of secrets rights and where you are well I'll do that in reverse order with symphony of secrets you know with it just being uh, published yesterday I, I I'm hoping someone will I wrote this as a movie I want to be entertained and as I'm writing I want to be entertained and you know I'm like what happens next what happens next what ha-? and well yeah and I, I I'm hoping that someone decides to Opt it, get the options for a, a film or something. I, hope, I think it would be a great movie. Um, you know, I'm biased, but I think so. Would be great. <laughs> and, and with the violin conspiracy, Sony actually opted the rights for they were going to do a mini series on it, and they had the screenplay and everything written. But they took it to HBO and they took it to uh, Netflix, and, and they were like, "This is a movie. This is not a mini series." So Sony's out. But I did have a meeting uh, last month with another director can't say who it is but you guys totally have seen this director and her husband in a lot of movies and they're in negotiations right now to do a movie for violin i will be playing old ray at the end Kimberly got a clipboard full of notes. I know. Well, because your your answers take me into other questions, I'm now completely out of order. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, you know. What do you want to say that I haven't asked? Um, I talked about people wanting to, I just, I really do want people to see people and not, don't, don't judge. We all have a tendency to judge. We do. Consciously, unconsciously. We do. We all do it. Um, when, when you see someone, really look at them, really listen. You know, there's, there's that kid who's running around who can't sit still. There's something going, he needs a creative outlet. He doesn't need, uh, you know, a smack on the butt. He needs a creative outlet. Um, the woman who's singing to herself in the corner, you don't know that lady's story. Don't make up stuff. Don't don't judge. Just don't just really look at people and listen to people. That That's what I want. If, the world would be such a better place if, if we all got to do that. And I also want to say, um, 
I just figured out last night what this cover means. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. So, violin conspiracy for the hardcover, it made a lot of sense. There was like a face of a violin and an eye poking through. Yeah, okay. That, I got that. So, this, this book centers around an opera called The Rings of Olympia, which is based on the five rings, five Olympic rings. And the last Olympic ring, which the opera is called Red, that has been discovered, um, it's, it's red. It's the red ring for the Olympic flag. And I just totally figured this out last night. I'm looking at this book cover when, when they, the, the publisher sends me a copy of this, and they're like, do you like the cover? And I'm like, no, I don't know what this is. Look at this. <laughs> I thought it was like a project or something. I, I don't know what's going on with this. But it, it made sense to me. I figured it out. Green, blue, yellow, black. What color is missing from the Olympic ring? Exactly. That was the long lost opera. I know, right? I know. I just got that. I got it last night. Did anyone else know that? No. I had not thought about the red, but I considered the cover, and I thought it had to do with the doodles. And and also all the colors are, you know, you have the sapphire song, the amber. Like, Mm -hmm. that was how I took it. Um, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. But this is art. This is it's what we art. get to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we get to do. So. Oh, you mentioned the doodles. Uh, the, so, this and this is where I got lost a little bit in the in our neurodivergent conversation. But in my first question, I loved the doodles in terms of the way it's just another device where we can understand, listen, and communicate mm-hmm. and. And our ways of communication can be such a variety of things, and that there are different ways to codify communication. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit to the doodles. Absolutely. Um, in in this story, Josephine uses doodles, drawings, annotations to notate her music, and that is a very common thing. It's called annotations. Composers, you will have a million different types of annotations. There'll be some that actually look like artwork, intricate artwork. Some just look like scribbles. It looks like a, a big, you know, a kindergarten project. Um, but they all make sense to the composer. It, they could look at it and say, oh, this means this, this, this. And you're just kind of like, wow, okay, that's interesting. So for Josephine, her way of notating music, you know, she, someone takes a step. That is a sound. She can hear, oh, that's an F sharp. And she will draw a picture, and that's what it notates. That's how she sees the world and writes her music. Um, so for the Delaney Doodles, as they're called, I was writing one night, and I was really, really sleepy, and I had to come up with something to finish the paragraph, and I was like, Delaney Doodles, okay, got it, got it, doodles. And, 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 and I sent that to my, uh, my agent, and he was like, that is fantastic, where did you come up with that? It's like, it is called not getting to bed at a good hour, and... So that worked out, but this is Josephine's way of writing her music and communicating and letting the world know what it is that she sees and hears. And Freddie, actually the composer, he actually figures it out. He figures out the code, the way that she does this. Every single thing around her, she's got pages and pages and pages of these doodles because everything is musical. <laughs> Everything is musical to her, so you know she's got pages and pages and pages of, of, of this stuff. And um, annotations are very, very common, and this is one way that that she uh, you know, writes down what she sees in the world. And they play a very intricate part in the story. These these Delaney Doodles, and um, yeah, it's 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 a real thing. Uh, I did some research. My violin teacher, Dr. Rochelle Vetter Huang, her husband sent me tons of different annotations, and I'm just looking. I'm thinking, you know, there might be a few lines and scriggles. Oh my god, it was insane. I'm like, whoa, people actually. This is what people do, and it makes sense. You know, it's seeing the world through different eyes. We can't look at everything through the same lens. And it was just fascinating for me. And I think it will be a fascinating way for you guys to see how someone living with a neurodivergent condition actually copes and and deals with things. And, you know, I'm just happy that it turned out the way that it did. I'm happy that I was sleepy that night when I wrote down the lady (laughs) doing Well, it's also another vehicle of how people are are telling you their truth. Mm. If you can only try to listen to a different language you might not right. initially understand as you are a good teacher who retells us the lesson and retells us the lesson until we get it. <laughs> um, 
Oxford, North Carolina, Watt makes an appearance, and although you are a, a man of the country now, and, uh, and internationally, as, as uh, you are going to be teaching people through the violin conspiracy in, what, seven languages? Mm-hmm. Um, across the globe, but you get Oxford, North Carolina in there. Why Oxford? Why not? <laughs> Is there anyone from Oxford? Anyone? I looked it up. I looked it up on a map. I, I just, I mean, it's, it's a little town in North Carolina, and, um, you know, why not? I, I'm from North Carolina, so I really wanted to, to, to represent. And I, I wrote specifically, I, wrote, I wanted to write with settings in the South for a couple of reasons. One, people who are not from the South, they often, we get a bad rep. We're unintelligent. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're slow. We're everything except what's good. And I wanted to represent people who were intelligent and creative and, you know, just able to do a ton of stuff that people would not know otherwise. Okay, so is this how people from North Carolina are? They're actually kind of smart. They actually are That's what I wanted to represent. I did not want a, a poor representation of the South, so I chose Oxford just because, uh, you know. I love that you're... Oh. If so, US one. If you keep going straight on US one past Raleigh, you will drive to Oxford, North Carolina, for our own personal yeah. context, a block away from US one. Yeah, their tourism is about to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I see it. I see it in publishing a lot, um, because Southern writers, in general, it, I just appreciate you being conscious of that. Yeah. Um, because there aren't a lot of publishers interested in publishing Southern Voices, and when they do, these days they get warped, and I love, yeah. um, which is a pattern, but um, I love that that is intentional for yes, you. Yes, absolutely. So thank you yeah. as a Southerner in the publishing We're knocking world. knocking that stereotype right off. So we appreciate that. Well, um, I want to open it up for questions, and... Um, Laurel, the librarian, which is how I like to refer to you at author events, promised me she would ask the first question. Okay, okay. I'm trying to think, should I go with my more serious or more silly one? I'll do the silly one. Um, Okay, so what Novel about what makes a good slice. So I'd like to hear what your qualifications for a great slice of pizza. <laughs> your well, qualifications for a great slice of pizza. I I am actually vegan now, <laughs> but I've only been vegan for six years. So prior to my veganism, oh man, I tell you, a good slice for me, a lot of tomato sauce. Thin, crispy crust. Thank you. Um, not too much cheese. Kind of burnt. Pepperonis, sausage, pineapple. <laughs> it's good. I'm telling you. It's good. With that tangy tomato sauce and the pineapple. Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. Don't knock it. Didn't we just talk about seeing people? <laughs> really? Come on. What's your more serious question? question was just, um, you kind of already touched on it with the, the film aspect. I think your books are very cinematic. When I'm reading them, I can really picture it. So I wanted to know if there's any directors or um, films that have kind of inspired you in your storytelling. Films that have inspired you in your storytelling. Actually, um, no. Especially with with music stuff. Someone asked me, what's your favorite book to read about music? I don't read music books because they are always so filled with inaccuracies. And it dr- <laughs> for a musician, Kim, it drives us bananas. I was just telling her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the actor who plays Ray in The Violin Conspiracy mm-hmm. needs to really play He needs violin. to be a violinist, exactly. Because watching fake violin plays. It drives you nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like you see someone doing this, yeah. and it's Those like it doesn't. Even, they're not even on the right string, and it's like you can't pay attention to anything else but and then that. Other people, not these violinists, are like, oh, I can't tell 
Yeah, it's like really. <laughs> so it just it, it, so I I don't watch anything music. I I don't. I just don't. But I I when I write, I write as if I'm watching a movie. What do I want to see happen next? Is this the exciting part, or is this like the love scene or whatever? Which I don't write very well, but <laughs> you'll see in this book. Um, <laughs> there's there's only one, and um, that's that's how comics go, though. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I, I will say um, I, I have a lot of material because I have a great family, and I am constantly observing. Like, I've been watching everybody in this room, and I could probably pick out what type of personality certain people have just by the way that they're looking at me right now. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I totally, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm a total observer. And, um, and I think what's going to be fun about this, if it does get made into a movie, there's so many directions that you could go with it. I mean, the story is still going to be a fun story, um, but you can definitely see that cinematic quality, and, and it's just full of what's next, what's next, what's next. And that's how I like to read, um, so I want to write that way. And I, I'm going to say, um, to my cousins who are here right now... <laughs> I, there is a, a chapter, the family chapter, where Burn and Ebony go to Miss Erlene's house, and they see Kay and Judy and Murtis and Sandra and Peggy, and they are talking, and that is a tribute to my cousins and my aunts. And, hey, Mom. No, don't make her stand up. It's going to take like half an hour. Oh, my God. And there we go. And and in the violin conspiracy, Grandma Nora, that was my mom's mother. And I wanted to pay tribute to let everyone know how wonderful a family that I have. And, you know, it's just family is everything. Family is everything. So if you still have your family around, hug them, tell them how much you love them. Because anyone could be gone just like that. I'm not trying to bring anyone down. It's just it's a re- it's real. Just do that. Please do that. Okay. Yeah. Who has another question? Angela. Hey, your cousin Angela. Here. <laughs> First of all, I want to say I am totally a, a super fan. But if you guys read the Violin Conspiracy, of course you left us on a high stage, and so I had high anticipation for Symphony of Secrets, and for me it is. Totally a one more chapter, you know, type of read. You're on the edge of your seat. Um, you do not want to put it down. But I want to say that it takes a special gift for an author to do a dual timeline, and you nailed it. I mean, for each, whether I was in the 1920s or the 30s, or I was, you know, in present day, I equally missed both. And so, it again, it takes a, a special craft to be able to do that. But I want for you, my question, I guess, will be um, is with this particular story, and shout out to the nod to Ray McMillan, I saw that in here too, but um, for this particular story, what came first for you? Was it the characters, or was it the plot? I think for for this story, it was definitely the characters. I wanted the characters, and then the characters kind of determined the plot, you know, um, I, I knew I wanted a neurodivergent character. That was a definite. And I knew I was going to do a composer. Um, but that was, you know, once I developed Freddie's character. Tell, so you read it. You read it. You read it. So did you, you like Freddie in the beginning? He's a likable guy, right? He's a, he's a likable guy. Okay. He's solid. Is that what you said? He, he gets a side eye. He does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a nice guy. I just the characters for me really developed the story, and it was just like, how far can I push? It really was. Freddie starts off. He's the greatest. He's the greatest guy in the world. He's so optimistic, and everything is going to be great. And then something just happens, and you know. But it, it's definitely the characters drove the story for me. Yeah. It. I. It, to, to note since. Y'all saw my face. It it adds. It's it's another layer of the story because while he's not totally likable, you see where every step is a choice someone made, mm-hmm. right. yeah. an active decision that could have been a different decision. Yeah, and and that's what makes him interesting. I would say not necessarily that he's like super likable, but he is. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> 
But that's a really interesting thing. The way that I like the way you put that, Kimberly, because it is a choice. Everything is a choice, yeah. and in his mind. He is doing the right thing in his mind. He truly is. It's like, I'm doing this for the right reason. It might not have the outcome that you want, but it's for the right reason. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That is, I want you to remember that when you start reading this. Yeah, good intentions, but not good choices. Yeah. Good intentions. The intentions are there. The choices, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey. Um, yeah. So you were a musician yes. for many years, and... What motivated you to get into writing, and how did you learn to write? How did you become a good writer? It seemed like it all happened so quickly with the writing. How, how did you become a, a good writer, a good writer from being a good learn? musician? Um, okay, I'm going to toot my own horn just a little bit. <laughs> I don't normally do this. I kind of, I, I don't. I, I, you know, okay, I'm a super spiritual person. I really am very, very spiritual. Um, I went to church. Mom can tell you, I went to church from elementary school up through college. I go to church every Sunday. I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. And I truly believe not only the, the musical talent that I've been given, um, just my my overall being, you know, the way that I am, I truly believe that it is a gift. And I was chosen to do certain things. I've been chosen to reach out to people and to change people's minds and to just just inform. I really honestly do believe that. When I was in high school, my English teacher, I had her for both 11th and 12th grade English, and she would always encourage me to write, always. Uh, you know, I took the regular English classes in, in college, um, and my friends would say, hey, can you look over this paper for me? You know, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd write this stuff, and um, I would, I'm a songwriter for my band. Um, I, that came out of necessity. It was like, we're just going to play covers all day long, or someone can write a song. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take try my hand at writing. Um, but for... COVID-19 really gave me an opportunity to kind of hone in on the writing because I wasn't playing during COVID. I was actually in playing in a wedding reception when I got the call that your next three gigs are totally canceled. It was February. So we didn't know how long it was going to last. So I'm at home all day long. You know, okay, I have nothing else to do except sit and eat and get fat. But um, so I, I wrote and not everything that I wrote was good. Not every, oh no, absolutely not. No, it wasn't good. And, and I took every bit of critique. I would let everybody read my stuff. Read this, tell me what you think. I would let people read. And being a musician totally prepared me to take criticism and critique. This is not good. You need to do this. Okay, instead of getting bent out of shape saying, oh, yeah, my stuff is great. No, okay, I'll change it. What do I need to do to get better? So I, I, I think it's a combination of all of those things. And, you know, I let people, I take advice, whatever. Hey, what do you think of this? What should I do? What do you need more of? What do you need less of? I'm totally willing to listen and apply it. Did I answer your question? Me? You, yeah. Um, have you ever um, played or held a Stradivarius? I have not yet. <laughs> <laughs> that that three-letter word is uber important. I, I, I think there's going to be a chance. There's got to be a chance. Where there's a will, there's a way. Okay. It, it'll happen. And then you'll know. You'll see. Be, I'll probably be dead with a smile on my face. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll happen. I'm pretty sure. Good question. My daughter's adopted from the Philippines when we lived there. So uh, What part? Well, she, we were in Manila. Uh-huh. Well, actually, I was in the Navy, so I was in the Navy basement. But we found out, my daughter found a birth family. And she sends them a little bit of money. They're down in the now. Ooh, so, yeah, down south, yeah. yeah. We don't go there. Right. She can't go there. It's... They're the Muslim. Uh, yeah, that's that's the part where they kidnap you if you're. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my nephew got kidnapped. kidnapped. But he got away. Ooh. But her family says don't come. But the truth of what you say, the little bit of money she sends for twenty dollars, mm-hmm. and it's enough to feed. She they send her pictures of what they're eating, which are really strange. The rats. Yeah. The snakes. The ducks. And, uh, <laughs> duck eggs. So do you? Yeah. Oh, those are good, you know. Oh. Yeah, awesome. That's dog. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I ate dog there at some time. <laughs> I'm sure I have rat. But uh, if do you still have your your foundation going? It's 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 kind of on hiatus just because of COVID, um, and you know I just haven't been able to because I would personally I just didn't trust anyone because you know. 
I hope are there any Filipinos here? Okay. All right. You know, there's a lot of corruption over there, and if you send money, it will go right into someone's pocket. So I was always the one. I'm going this state. I would take a month, and I would go over there for a month, take all the money, and distribute it myself. I would always do that myself. I'd always pay my own way, pay for my own room and board, flight, and everything, because I didn't want people to say you're just getting a free vacation to the Philippines. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, anything and everything helps. I'm hoping to get it up and going again um, after this summer. I'm hoping that I will be able to, you know, not going down to Mindanao. I actually would go down to, I spend a lot of my time in, in Dumaguete on uh, Oriental Negros and lovely people, lovely, lovely people. The Filipinos are lovely people. Really? Wonderful. Truly, yeah. But, but yes, thank you for that. I mean, it just makes me want to do more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They need it. Yeah, they do. Sir? Yeah, it's not a question that I have. It's an observation. Uh-oh. Uh, that's a good one. Oh, okay. So, I, you know, read your book. But did you like it? We took a road trip to like Tucson. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, a retired music teacher. Oh. So your book is like, you know, I got to read this book. It was wonderful. Oh. And so then uh, we stopped and, oh, the Louisiana Symphony's playing in New Orleans. Okay, we're here now. Oh, they revived the San Antonio, which had gone bankrupt, and, but they revived it. And then they had this young violinist come out, Randall Goosby. Yep. That's that's the guy that wants to. That he needs to play Ray. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see him, we continue our trip. We go to Tucson. Heard them play. It was okay. <laughs> but then on the way back, we catch the Dallas Symphony. They're playing a Tchaikovsky with Randall again. <laughs> Boy, was that a concert! I'm sure. You know, great orchestra, great player. If there were ever a Ray, that it would be that kid. Yep. Yeah. That is Ray. Thank you very much. Hey, here's a question, sir. Did you figure out who stole the violin? I, I kept thinking it was the girl. Yeah. And no, it was the girl. But you hit it so well, it wasn't that obvious. Lots of red herrings in there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay, like a year I think you're actually the only one in this room who didn't raise their hand that they hadn't looked. Okay. Well, there's a reason why. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I figured it out. Just give it a Okay. Okay. <laughs> what other? Ma'am? What were the influences that caused you to want to pursue a career in music? Wow. Okay, my high school teacher, Robbie Casson, she told me one day, you need to audition at UNC Greensboro and go for music education. I didn't know what that was. I said, okay. So I went up on a Saturday, and I went in. I had no idea what I was doing. I went in and played a piece of music, not thinking I was going to even get accepted. And um, I actually didn't. I wasn't serious about it. And I was actually staring out the window. I remember as I was playing, I was staring out the window. And um, I don't know if you remember Dr. Crutcher, mm-hmm. Ronald Crutcher. Yeah, he actually, uh, the, the cello professor at the time, actually said to me, "He's who's your teacher? Who are you taking lessons with? I was like, I've never had any lessons. And he was like, you've never had what? No. How are you doing this? And I was like, I don't know. I was just kind of, <laughs> um, so that put a spark under me and it's like wow someone thinks that I can actually do this someone believes that I can I will be successful at this um, and, and it just took off from there and I loved it I absolutely loved it it was fun every time I got to play it was fun I had so much fun playing my friend Kim here that we grew up playing next to each other like from elementary school to junior high school we were in the same class in junior high we went to the same college we played together all the time for years and years and years. It was fun. Yeah. We had did we it not have fun? fun? It was fun, right? <laughs> it, was, it was just jam. It was fun. We just it was so much fun. And I mean and we could have been doing so many other things, so many bad things, you know. But instead we were making music and having a good time and it just it's music is one of the it's it's one of the most powerful forces in this we in existence. Either. 
Making music, talking about music, or listening to music. All the time. All <laughs> the time. And it was awesome. So I loved it. And, you know, I'm a huge advocate for it. And anyone who asks me, you know, what, what do you recommend? I recommend you get your child in some type of, of music program. 100%. I agree. Other questions? Oh, I was just going to touch on it briefly, but when I had your first book, the cover was so different for the second, and to me, a book sometimes makes you pick it off the shelf, the cover. Why did you change from the original to this one? Was not me. <laughs> I had the exact same thought and the response that I was given, and I have to go, you know, I, I, I've learned to trust the people who are in charge. They're in charge for a reason. Um, I thought that it was a disaster. I saw this, and I was just like, ah, it's got shelf appeal. You see it. Yeah. And it's like, what is that? It's bright and yellow. And you know, same thing with this. When I figured it out, oh, my gosh, that makes perfect sense. And when people read it, they will, it'll make sense. It's always you're learning, always, always. And, and I learned to just trust them. I'm not going to say, don't do that. That's terrible. No, no. I trust them. As an observer of authors' careers, um, I also think you can see the visual um, representation or connection between the two. I, I also think that is a um, signal that the publisher plans to be publishing you for quite some time. If you look at certain, like, you can see a visual pattern with authors that they intend to be huge authors in a big way or you can see in in when you're published when an author breaks out they'll stop reprinting the old books and then reissue them with new ISBNs which means a lot of work at, at the register but but they'll reissue them to be in cons like to have the same visual language um, as that and so that would be. Does that mean I'm going to be around for a while? <laughs> I mean, we all hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I said it. I said it the other. Well, first, here, this is my friend Bubba Lou. Hello. <laughs> and she really is my friend because I was at the Savannah Book Fair, and this lady comes up to me, and she's just doing what she's doing right now, which is giggling. And uh, she was so sweet, and she gave me. A, uh, a heart. She gave me a heart and she said, I want you to have this and um, I just feel like you need this and I really want you to have this and I tell you it was the most touching thing and I, I it's, it sits on my nightstand and she gave me one. She came last night to where were we last Bookmarks. night? Winston-Salem last night where was, was the launch for, for Symphony of Secrets and when I saw her there I'm just like, oh my gosh she is the nicest, sweetest and she gave me another heart and I'm like, <laughs> Okay, it's like borderline. Is she just nice? Is she stalking? And lo and behold, she shows up today at the old country bookstore. I would like to say that that's what happens to authors who have a visual language of their book. You start to have people who, who, as I mentioned earlier, follow follow author events like bands. It, but I said all that to say is she is amazing. She's very, very sweet. And, and everything that she has said to me, and I, I take it to heart, and I really, truly appreciate your support. Aww. I really do. Thank you. Well, it's easy with you. I'll just tell you. But, um, so it was a, an event where you go to different churches, and it was scheduled events, and so the event went empty, and then the next one would go in. So we're all outside. And... I had never heard, I don't know what, it, like, when she asked the question, have you ever held a what, blah, blah, blah? I don't know what that is, like, what is that? I'm, I'm not into, you know, violins and, and uh, symphonies and all that, but one of our book club people, we were all picking books for the 12 months of the year, and she comes out of the blue, and these people know their books, I'm just like an, an observer, and she says, the violin conspiracy, and we're like, What? She's like, yeah, you guys have to read this. So then we're all thinking, well, let's go to this event with him, you know, see who this guy is. And we're all standing outside, and you came, and you started telling, saying hi to everybody, and how you doing? And we're like, oh, my God. But the energy of that event just went out of the roof. And then we walk into this small church, and he just packs the church, and it is a bunch of people breathing in a small old church. So he gets hot, so he takes his coat off, and his shirt is not wrinkled. I mean, it's not ironed. Oh. It's all wrinkled. Right? He's like, oh my God, my shirt is all wrinkled. But, you know, it's okay. But a lady gets up and, 
and complains about the wrinkled shirt. And it was just, it broke all of our hearts. And I want you to talk about, you know, what things that you've overcome and all that, because you said it last night. But um, even last night there was a man that asked you a weird question about, like, why are you... You know, what does what's the sale mean to you? And you're just like, this is what it means to me. And you're, yeah. you're awesome. And you played the violin last night, and you sang a song. And it was amazing. I'm sorry I did not <laughs> set up yes. our event correctly. Yes. And it's, it's like you make it easy. It took me a long time to write Symphony of Secrets because this is the honest truth. After writing The Violin Conspiracy, you know, I, I had a two-book deal, and I had to write another book, and I was going to be in the middle of touring and everything, so I was like, okay, i got to get this done. Um, it took me a while because it was difficult to write. I had to do everything. I mean, I had to make up the characters, make up the situation, make up everything, and it was tough. Um, so it took me four months to write this. <laughs> I write, I write fast. I do. I just, I write fast. And you know, I, I write, okay, seriously, no, but for real, it, it took me four months, and that, that was a long time for me because Violent Conspiracy took two months to write. And um, I just, I'm, I'm one of, I, I'm not even kidding. I truly, truly, truly believe that I am still here amongst all of everyone here. It's a, I'm, it's a gift. God has chosen to keep me here. Five, six years ago, I was 12 hours away from dropping dead. I had some crazy acute medical condition. My heart blew up three times the size it was supposed to be. My kidneys were shutting down. I almost dropped dead, and I was in ICU for a week, and they didn't know what was wrong with me, and I almost didn't make it, and it took me about a year to get back to the point where I could walk from here to there, and I wanted to give up. I wanted to stop taking my meds. This is too hard. I can't do it. I just want to die, um, but I kept going through perseverance, faith, friends, family, everyone supported me to get me. That is why I have thank you tattooed here so I can show my gratitude every single day. Every single day. And I truly, truly, truly believe God kept me here because I'm supposed to reach out to people like you guys. I truly believe that. And I'm going to take advantage of every second that I have. Every single second is a gift and I'm going to utilize it every way that I can. And I hope that by through these books touches someone in some way. I, I truly hope so. And you know, with the music and everything, that's that's why I am here. And until God sees fit that, you know, okay Brendan, your time is done. Until that happens, I'm gonna keep doing it. And I mean, I didn't mean to take y'all to church on a Tuesday. What's today, Wednesday? Oh, well, it is Wednesday. Some of us go to church on Wednesday. I just have a comment. Hey. When you write your third book. Yeah. And you come, bring your violin. Oh! <laughs> you know what? It's in my hotel right now. Yeah, Kim's violin is in her car. She can play for you. Why do you keep your violin in your car? At one you feel with them? It might be in my room in my room. I understood that you still perform with a chamber group. Do you do local concerts? Uh, as in no, North Carolina? Yes. Well, I'm, we're based in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Sorry. And I actually have a recital. I'm not playing. We have a recital on June 24th, and I'm not playing. I'm actually conducting that recital. And, yeah, we're doing Borzak String Serenade. So we have to go to Washington to hear Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah. Sorry. Are you still teaching? I teach, uh, I have 10 students now. I had to cut down from 22 to 10 students because I'm traveling around so much. And they won't see me for the next month because I'm literally going to be on the road for the next month. I don't know how many pair of underwear that is that I have to pack. <laughs> it's a lot. So Monday, I fly to Detroit on Monday. And from Detroit, I go to South Carolina, then to California, then to Arizona, then to Michigan. 
then to Ohio, then to Massachusetts, then to someplace else. I forget because, yeah. And I'm tired already. <laughs> well, I'm like the rock band. Yeah, they're fun. It's called yeah, Geppetto's Wood. Uh -oh. No one? Okay. <laughs> Somebody got it. Okay, see, she got it. She got it. <laughs> I like her. Um, yes, it's, it's, it, believe it or not, it's made up of my, my former students. Yeah, and, and um, we have a good time playing, and I, one of them is in California right now, and I was in California uh, over the summer, and we got together and we jammed, and it was so much fun. And as soon as things kind of calm down, we're going to get back together and start playing. And we used to play around D.C. all the time, but, you know, COVID happened, and yeah. Yeah, we're waiting for you to come here. I know. All right. We'll hook it up. We'll hook it up. What is your biggest baby, writing or your music? Oh, come in with some bangers. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I honestly feel that I am a musician who happens to write. I will always be. Violin is the reason that I'm here, and it's always going to be music. And I, I feel like I can communicate through music. You know, the writing. Sure, I'm glad that it touches people, but for me, I, I just feel like I can do it best through music. And you know, when when I talk to students and I say to them, I want you to do this, 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 this. They say, Oh, I hate this piece. Why do you hate this piece? Because it's just the same thing over and over again. And then I tell them. This is what it means. This is what I want you to experience. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I love this piece. I think that I can do that. And that's that's my favorite way to communicate with young people. So I'm a musician who happens to write. So music inspired you, right? Yes. Music inspired everything in the life. So we're only getting half of you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're getting the best half. <laughs> I think your question and your answer makes sense about the music because you are writing music. So for for those of us who might not be able to, to have that large understanding through the actual violin playing, we get it through the writing. And so you're just communicating in a different language what you're communicating through music. And I want to thank you for... for taking the time to do that so we can all hear what you have to say okay. and and I want to thank you guys for being here but I really want to thank you for coming back it was such a treat to meet you through your book and then have you take the time to come and be with us and speak to us and and just visit our town uh, is what allows the bookshop to be what we we hope to be and, and allow everybody to connect and the fact that your mother is here and your cousins are here are it's a special, special, extra, extra special treat, and um, we hope you come back for the hardcover and and um, of your next book, which I know you're working on to be published in early 2025. So thank you. All of the books spoken about in this podcast are available for purchase either in person in the store or online. 24 hours a day. The link's in the show notes and we look forward to seeing you soon.